0: Amen. So welcome everyone. Uh, it's good to be here. I don't know about you, I'm glad to be here. There's nowhere else I would rather be on a Sunday than here, and this is the place to be on a Sunday. And this is my last message before we can shift, focus onto the Christmas uh, activities. And I just felt this morning that I needed to share a word of encouragement. Um, sometimes it takes a while for the message to come. And uh, sometimes you're not entirely sure. You know roughly what you're supposed to be speaking about, but what direction and, and, and where where does God want to speak through that? And I just felt as I was praying that it was really... The, the purpose of the message this morning is to encourage us. Uh, and so that's, that's where I've come from today. You see, the reality is that many of us are still waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled in our lives. There are some things that we're still holding on to. There are things which you will be praying for, waiting in God for, expecting God to come through, and and you're still waiting. Or maybe I'm the only one, okay? If there are things which you're still waiting for in God, then that's a good thing, because I think that's where we're supposed to be. God doesn't answer everything right away. There's a process that he takes us into and I remember a number of years ago, um, it was one of our times we were gathered for prayer in here on a Sunday night. And uh, I remember reading prayerfully through this passage that I'm going to read this morning. And I had already shared this passage with the leadership team um, as a devotional. I just went through it bit by bit as a devotional and brought some thoughts around it. And it's in Isaiah chapter 35. And I don't know about you, if we read this this morning... Um, when I read this my heart my heart rate goes up I start to get encouraged I start to get excited about the things that God might be saying through this and saying to us so Isaiah chapter 35 reading from the New International Version and it says this in the the title in the NIV it says the joy of the redeemed the joy of the redeemed. If you know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then you are one of those redeemed. This is what it says. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of of our God it's not just talking about a physical desert it's talking about a spiritual desert and our community that we live in is a spiritual desert I love this verse verse 3 strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way say to those with fearful hearts be strong do not fear your God will come he will come with vengeance with divine retribution he will come and save you And I don't know about you, but there are times when I feel like my knees are going to give way. There are times when I feel weak physically, but also spiritually. And it's in those times that we need to be strengthened. And we need each other. We need people to come alongside us and strengthen us sometimes. We need to come in to that place of quietness before God and encourage ourselves and strengthen ourselves in God. But we need each other as well verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped That verse encourages me. that verse speaks of something that's to come in the life of this church. When then will the leap the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Just a wonderful, wonderful passage. You may remember the old uh, uh, chorus that went along with the end of that reading there. Remember it, therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall turn. Anyway, we'll not go into all that, but just takes me back to my childhood when I heard these songs and heard God speak through them. And God still speaks through these passages. For me, this is one of those passages when I read it, things just come to life in me. And really, it speaks, I think it speaks about what God is going to do. It it speaks about the vision that God has for his people. And there is part of that which I feel that we take on board ourselves as the vision for our church. The things that God is going to do, the things that God wants to do, it's his vision, it's his mission, it's his purpose. And so I want to think just a little bit about that. God gives us a vision as well. God gives you personally a vision. I wonder if you've ever, have you ever sat down and thought, what is the vision for my life? What is my vision for my life? What is God's vision for my life? Have you ever sat down for half an hour and thought about what God wants to do in you and through you and just start writing that down? and to see where God starts to speak through the scriptures. And and when he starts to do that, you know that you're heading on the right track, confirming that this is the road that you should be on. And the Bible is full of, for me, heroes, people who had great visions, people whom God called and equipped, but also people who had to be brave and courageous, people who knew loneliness, people who knew despair, and they knew what it was like to almost give up. And sometimes, sometimes just before the moment of breakthrough. And the reality for us is that most, for most of us, when God calls us to something, He often allows us to go through testing times. And it's in those testing and trying times that God shapes character within us. And I don't think anybody puts it more succinctly than Oswald Chambers, And I'm quoting it again. This is is one of my favorite Oswald Chambers quotes. This is what he says in relation to vision. God gives us the vision, then he takes us down to the valley to batter us into the shape of the vision. And it's in the valley that so many of us faint and give way. Every vision will be made real if we will have patience. There's a thing, eh? Patience in those moments, in those times where sometimes you feel that God is far away from you. You feel far away from God perhaps. You feel that it's not happening. The things which God has promised aren't happening and it can be really, really frustrating sometimes because we want to run on ahead of God. But then he goes on to say, think of the enormous leisure of God. An eternal God working out His purposes in our little time frame on earth. Three score years and ten, plus VAT if we're lucky. Think of the enormous leisure of God. He's never in a hurry. We are always in such a frantic hurry. And as we come to Christmas time, no more as it felt than at Christmas time. I was unlucky enough to be in the Livingston Centre shopping yesterday, and it was the most horrific experience of my life people bumping into each other and tripping over this and that and the next thing people frantically going around trying to get those presents good grief, thank you thank you Lord for Amazon, that's all I can say (laughs) in the light of the glory of the vision we go forth and do things, but the vision is not real in us yet and sometimes we're prone to do that as individuals God gives us a vision we think, this is what my life's about this is what God wants to do And we run on ahead and we try to achieve it by doing stuff. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, that vision isn't made real in us yet. And God has to take us into the valley and to put us through fires and floods to batter us into shape until we get to the place where He can trust us. That's something that God has shown me. In the times where I've been trying to do things in my own strength, and achieve things in my own strength, and all the while going through the valley and being tested and being tried, and then suddenly it clicks. And God begins to do the thing that he was already speaking about, sometimes years ago. And it's that point where the penny drops, and God knows that he can trust us with the thing that he's shown us. He talks about with the veritable reality. And ever since we had the vision, God has been at work getting us into the shape of the ideal. And over and over again, we escape from his hand and try to batter ourselves into our own shape. When God says he's going to do something, believe you me, God will do it. We need to keep ourselves in the center of his will not trying to run ahead of what God's doing, not lagging behind of what God's saying, but keeping ourselves in that place. Even if we're in a difficult place. And maybe I'm the only person here today, but you kind of look as if you've got that look in your faces that you go through times of trial and testing as well. Times where you think, man, I just want to stay in my bed today. I cannot be bothered with this day today. I have had enough. And I think about Moses and this incredible example that we have of his life. How uh, you know the story of Moses. He was rescued as a baby. He got brought up in the the Pharaoh's palace. He got brought up as an Egyptian. But it was his own mum who brought him up for part of that in his early years. And so he would have known who he was. He would have known that he was a Hebrew. And one day he was out and he saw his fellow people getting mistreated by an Egyptian uh, slave driver. And he actually took things into his own hands and he killed the Egyptian. And he buried his body and tried to keep things quietly. And then we read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 14, that he's out and he sees two of his his countrymen, his fellow Hebrews, uh, they're quarreling as well. And Moses begins to try and intervene And this is what the man says. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. I wonder at this point in time if Moses already had the beginnings of vision of the beginnings of an inclination as to what his purpose in life was. His purpose being to rescue his fellow people. Maybe, just maybe, there was that empathy for his own fellow people and maybe God was beginning to speak to him at this point in time. These are my own guesses because it doesn't really tell us directly. And it goes on to say in verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. He named one of his sons, uh, he married Uh, A girl out there, and he named one of his sons Gershom, which means I have become an alien in a foreign land. Here is Moses, perhaps somebody who God is already beginning to speak to, and he finds himself on the run. He finds himself in a desert place. And he finds himself in a difficult place. Now some good things happened to Moses in that place. He met his uh, his wife-to-be, and he had two sons, But he found himself in isolation from his family. He found himself in isolation from all that he had known, all that he had been brought up in, from his tribe as the Hebrews, but also from his cultural upbringing and privileges in Egypt. And he was now on the run from all of it. And I would think that in this time of isolation, that this was the place where Moses lost his confidence. If he had any confidence at all, He lost his confidence in this moment, in this time, sorry, not in the moment, in this time, time of testing, time of isolation. And we read that in Exodus 3, where God comes and speaks to Moses. You know the story of Moses where he's out and he sees a burning bush and the the bush doesn't get burned up, and so he begins to approach it and God speaks to him and he says, you need to take your shoes off before you come any closer because you're on holy ground here. And Moses is captivated by what he sees. And God speaks to him in this situation. And he says to him, that I'm going to call you to come back to Egypt and save my people. And this is where I think Moses' lack of confidence creeps in. And I don't know if you can identify with this, but, but I can. Exodus 3.11. That Moses said to God, who am I? We could stop there, eh? Who am I? Nothing special about me. In fact, if anything... I'm the least likely person that you should be asking to go and do this task. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Confidence was at an all-time low. And I feel God wants to say to some people in here today that your confidence is at an all-time low. And it doesn't need to be, because your confidence isn't in yourself. Your confidence needs to be... In your calling, who God has called you to be, your confidence needs to be in Him and not yourself. But the desert's not always a bad place to be. It can affect us in many negative ways, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about the experiences in life that we go through. I don't suppose any of us, maybe some of you, have, has anyone ever been in the desert? Isabel, have you been in the desert recently, on the back of a camel? <laughs> in the scorching sun. Yeah? So, if you've been in a desert, you, you'll know uh, what it feels like to be in that open place, to be in that, you know, if, if you're agoraphobic, that's the last place you want to be. Um, and I sometimes think about when we're in those times of life, that it's those times that we're, we're longing for the breakthrough. I, I don't know about you, but I'm longing to see some breakthroughs in the church. I sometimes feel like we're in a bit of a desert place at the moment in terms of some of the things that we want to see God doing, some of the things that we're believing for, some of the things that we're praying for. And we've not seen the breakthroughs yet, but I think they're on the way. Things that we have a vision for, we believe that God has given us a vision for, things that we're praying into. But you see, it's all about His timing. It's about His timing and we can't rush on ahead. But it's it's so easy in the desert place to lose our confidence. It's so easy in the desert place to lose heart. Has anybody in here ever felt discouraged before? Yeah? I have felt discouraged, both as a person and as a leader in the church. I know what it's like to feel discouragement. I know what it's like when you're longing for things to happen, you're praying for things to happen, and they don't happen. But this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, whatever you're doing for God, whatever He's called you to, since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And it's so important that we don't lose heart. We need to ensure that we do not lose our confidence and that we do not lose our perspective. Hebrews 10, 32 to 36 says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. But you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. In the desert place, we can lose our confidence, we can lose heart, But we need to encourage ourselves. We need to take these words and we need to use them like a sword against an enemy, whether it's within or coming from without. We need to use these words like a sword, which is what we've been thinking about, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to memorize these words and we need to quote these words over ourselves. We need to maybe perhaps take some of these things and read them out loud over ourselves in our own prayer time. In the desert time, are the, are the, these are the times where we become, we can become isolated, spiritually speaking, but also physically. And I sometimes think it's a dangerous place where we begin to isolate ourselves from fellowship. When we stop coming along to church, when we stop coming along and gathering together, it's a dangerous place to be, because it's so easy to get into the habit of not coming. And we, be, we can become isolated and we can become a target. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched nature programs and the commentator is telling you what's about to happen and you see the lions chasing after their prey and you go, oh no, this is only going to go one way. Eh? You see them chasing after a deer or gazelle or something like that and you see the wee weak one that's kind of on the edge. And you think, oh no. Oh, no, 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 I know how this is going to end. I don't know if I can watch this. I I, I just can't stand those bits of nature programs. I hate them. And yet I was watching watching recently uh, just a clip, uh, just a short part of uh, Planet Earth 2. I don't know if anybody's been watching that. Did anybody see the giraffe and the lion, the lioness? Did anybody see that? Yeah? Some people have seen it. Well... The lion, the the giraffe's getting chased by this pack of lions. And David Attenborough, in his lovely style, says, but what the giraffe doesn't know is that up ahead, the chief lioness is waiting to pounce. And you're thinking, oh, no, here we go again. It's like those wee, Kathleen, you remember that video, the the wee ducks flying off the... Kathleen has nightmares about that still. I wish they'd ever showed it in church. But I'm going to show this clip. This is the clip of the giraffe getting chased by the pack of lions and you see, there's just this little clip at the end and you see what happens uh, when the lioness goes to pounce. There's no sound, it's fine. No sound. Just show the wee clip. You're just watching silence, it's a silent movie. Oh! See, when I saw that, I was like, you're a dancer! (laughs) Look at that! The, the giraffe gave the lioness what for so like, ooh, get under my foot no way you're getting me the day <laughs> and I just I, I looked at that and I just something something happened inside of me I think because a few weeks ago we'd been thinking about the temptation of Jesus and how Satan had quoted Psalm uh, 91 at Jesus saying you know, you know they'll not let you cast your foot against a stone all that kind of stuff but see as it goes on after that, the little verse after that, because I read through the whole psalm, and this is what it says in Psalm 91:13, talking about Jesus. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And see when I saw that clip, I thought, that's it. When we are in that desert place, we may become isolated, but there's something, there's a different ending can happen to this story. And for lots of us, when we're isolated and when we're in the desert place, when we're in that place where we feel alone, it's the time when we can come under attack, it's the time where the enemy can get the better of us. And yet, we can learn from Jesus' example here, that you can trample upon the great lion and upon the serpent. This is why God has equipped us with spiritual armor, so that we have the strength to do that. And what it talks about here goes as far back as Eden. In Genesis 3:15, we read, "And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, uh, sorry, your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and he will strike your heel." And it was looking forward, prophetically forward, to the cross, where Jesus crushed the head of the enemy. He crushed Satan's head. Satan has no power over us. And just as that was a happy ending, just as that clip was just like, oh, thank you, Lord, I I need your program, a good ending for a change, it just spoke to me about this passage and that in God we can have the victory. And so we don't need to be in that desert, dark place on our own. It speaks of Jesus who has won the victory for us Jesus has won the victory over sin. Jesus is the one who saves us. And it's Jesus who sustains us day by day by day. Even when we might feel like we're in a desert place. Even when we might feel like we're isolated. Even when we're still waiting on the vision to come about. Stuart, you'll know all about this. You're a man of great patience waiting for that vision. That vision will come. It will come in God's time. Be encouraged. Now I want to bring us back to an example that's much closer to home. It's a personal example. Uh, this, this, uh, just this week I was doing an assembly up in Longridge and I was talking to the kids about how we can read true stories. And I was talking about how the Bible is a true story. The story of Jesus is a true story. And I used some illustrations from my own life and I got them to think about who I was and am I a real person and how do we know that I'm real? Well, we can look at the photographs, we can look back at all the things that were read, we can look at all sorts of things, uh, things that were written. And uh, in the process, I was looking at my my diary, looking at some things which I wrote a long time ago. And I want to just maybe quote uh, one or two of those things, uh, just as examples. One of them, and I'll start off with this, this goes way back to August 2001. And I've shared this before, maybe in church, certainly with some people. And it describes a very vivid experience that I had uh, you know, with God. And I was in the car driving back from Glasgow. I was on the M8. And I was in about, uh, uh, about um, Kirkachorts, coming east, coming home. And uh, it was back in 2001. For those of you who know us well, you'll know that 2001 was a nightmare year. It was probably the worst year ever of our lives as a married couple. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you're in those places, it might be a bad place, but sometimes that's the times when God speaks to us and he says things that stick. Well, this was something that I prayed, and it was a prayer that was so vivid I could almost touch it, if I can, if you can get what I'm saying. It was such a real prayer. It wasn't just words. It was just real. Um, I, I can't explain it. But it was almost like you'd reach out and touch the words that were coming out of my mouth and hold on to them. Well, I did because I wrote them down. And said, one, prayed one of those real prayers while driving along the M8 near Kirkus You save them, and I will disciple them. What a powerful moment. I'm not sure where it came from, but it was very real to me when I prayed it. I believe it was a God-inspired prayer. I believe it was a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. It's happened a few times when I've been in the car driving. Um, Just some incredible experiences just as I've been driving. And it was one of those things which was so vivid. And it was a prayer which had vision in it as well. It was a prayer which saw people coming to know Jesus and being discipled. It was a prayer of reality that only God can save people. Somebody said to me once, are you trying to convert me? I say, I can't convert you. There's only one person who can do that. And that's God as you surrender to him. I can't convert anybody. But I can share the truth of what's in God's word. I don't know about you, but for me, that was a very, very real and tangible thing. I want to share another thing which I wrote Again, at a difficult time in life. Ten years later, this is January 2001, and really working through some difficult things in life and at the same time been really, really, really tired physically. And I was going through this little exercise of reflecting where I would be in ten years' time. I'm only three years away from that now. That's quite scary. And I uh, recorded some words about myself, my family, about the church, And it's just one of those times where you draw aside and you pray and you're seeking God for direction and all that kind of stuff. And this is what I wrote about the church. And I'd actually forgotten I'd written this until I was going through uh, reading the journal again. And it says, The church will be known for developing leaders who go out, not stay in. It's an empowering church with a heart for mission, outreach and social action. A church for families, vibrant, generous with its resources, people. And time. That's what I saw as I prayed about this church. I thought, where's it going? What's going to happen in the next 10 years? And uh, I'm not one of these having your 10 year plan type guys. I, I, my mind can't think that, head, that far ahead. If I get to the end of Sunday, I'll be quite happy. Um, but we need to have something inside that's taking us forward at the same time. And I think what I'm trying to say here is that God has been developing the vision for the church, my personal vision, god what God wants me to do. God's been developing that over many, many years. And it's been a slow process, a process of refining and of distilling. And it's in that process that God speaks to you. And when the prophet comes and the prophet says things into the life of the church, that I, I know at that point in time that what you're saying is right or wrong because it ties in with what God's already been saying. And so what I present uh, to the church these days has been the result of many years of searching, and some of those years felt like wilderness years, but the vision has never left. I think what God has been doing is knocking me into the shape of the vision. My question is, what about you? What's God doing in you? Is God beating you up a little bit to knock you into the shape of the vision that he has for you, the purpose which he has for your life? Maybe some of you have strayed away from the purpose that God has for your life. You know, the Bible tells us it's so easy to get distracted by the cares of the world if you think about the parable of the sower and where the seed landed. Some of us, we just get so caught up with life and family and earning a living and doing all of these things. And yet what God wants to do in us is more important than all of those things. What has God been saying to you? Take a moment to reflect on that later on today. And on the subject of vision, I want to share one more thing. And uh, earlier this year, I was reading through an article. And as I read it, I discovered that I had tears flowing down my face as the author described what he had witnessed in a church that he'd went to visit. this is a short extract from that article. And uh, forgive me if I get emotional as I read it again. He said, one story in particular really moved me. The story is about John, who is 12. he uh, He had come through the most horrible experience of growing up as a child. But through the regular kids' work that was catering for hundreds of children, he heard how God could change circumstances and lives. He decided with the help of one of the volunteers to put God to the test and gave his heart to Jesus. The change was amazing. As the volunteers continued to pour their time and energy into John, he began to understand that he needed to tell other people about the power of God. John's whole family took up the full role in the middle of the church. To see the power of God at work as they praised God was awesome. The thing is that the church is full of boys and girls just like John, full of families just like his. What a church, eh? And as I read on down the article, I realized I wrote this myself. This was an article I wrote in 2008 as an exercise thinking about the vision of the church. What is it that we see for the church And as I read this, having forgotten all about it, as I read it, I had tears flowing down my my face. I'm thinking, I want to go to this church. I want to be part of this church. And then I realized that it's what God was saying about this church. What God was saying about where this church is going to go. And then when Ray Stokes comes along and talks about God's wanting us to reach a new generation, I'm like, bing, light bulb, here it comes. This is what God wants to do. Can you see it yet? Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I see it. I see it in my spirit, in my mind. And it motivates me. And it's God's purpose. It's God's purpose that's at work. God wants us to reach a new generation of boys and girls, young people, and see them saved and to see them come through into his kingdom And so this is why we have opposition, because God wants to do incredible things. You see, the reality is that for each of us, there's a battle for our souls. The reality is that there's a battle for the souls of people, and it's a spiritual one. And the devil and all of his schemes are pitted against the church and the fulfillment of God's mission. It's his mission. It's his mission to save the world. That's why at this time of the year we think about Jesus coming into the world as a child. That's what Christmas is focused on. God's mission is to draw people to himself. and It's a mission that involves people being saved and set free and discipled. Not brainwashed, but transformed through the renewing of our minds, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Simply to be Like Jesus. If that's what the church is brainwashing us into, then I'll happily have my brain washed for that purpose because I look at his life and I think, this guy is incredible. Nobody has ever, in my mind, shown courage like he has. Nobody's ever been abandoned and been in the desert like he was. And he spoke about himself as being the Son of God. Well, if he wasn't the Son of God, he was the biggest lunatic that's ever lived. And if he was a lunatic, then the church might as well pack up and go home and go do something else. You see, but the reality is that he is the Son of God. And because he is the Son of God, it makes this message, it makes the Christmas message, one of the most important messages that we can ever share with people. The most important message in history. that's why the devil pits himself against us. That's why we feel discouraged sometimes. That's why we fall out sometimes. That's why we do our own things sometimes. That's why we lose focus sometimes. It's because the devil wants to stop God from, from, from fulfilling his mission in us and through us. And just as we wrap up when we think about the devil's schemes, one of his tactics is to cause us to forget the words that God has spoken over us. The vision which God gave you before he took you down into the valley, you need to hold on to that. Hold on to what God has said, the things which God has promised you. And if you don't feel God has promised you anything, then you need to get before God and you need to pray and you need to ask God what his purpose is for you. And you need to write it down when you hear what he says. You need to be in the scriptures, reading the scriptures and allowing God the opportunity through the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart, write it down, keep a hold of it. That's why I can have big green bits in the notes. Things that have been written down in the past because I don't know about you, but your memory starts to go when you get older. Have you noticed that? And so I need the pieces of paper. I need the digital screens. I need I need reading glasses. What can I say? But you see, his tactic is to cause us to forget the truth that's been spoken over us. One of those central elements of the spiritual armor is the belt of truth. And as I've thought about this, it is the most important in one sense because everything else hangs on it. Everything else relates back to it. Hold on to what God has said to you. Sometimes we experience guilt and shame, particularly when we have unconfessed sin. And we can even end up doubting our salvation. You doubt that God has ever saved you to start with. Have you ever been there? Doubted that you were saved to start with. And thinking, what kind of Christian am I? Well, let's bear in mind that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The devil will accuse, the Holy Spirit will convict. And conviction leads us towards God. Accusation leads us away from God. Remember those words? I've got a friend called Adam. Sometimes I say to him through a text message, Adam, where are you? Because <laughs> you've not reply to my text yet. God said, Adam, where are you? Because he felt guilt, and he hid away from God. He put himself into that desert place, into that place of hiding away from God. And then there's the barrage of lies about our fellow believers, about us, and we can fall for that so often. We can go through times where we experience relentless assaults on our faith. And I think no more than today, and the things that we hear... You know, why do so many scientists want to disprove God? Just let science do its work. And let it prove or disprove what it does. Let's look at the evidence and let's be open-minded. So many assaults on our faith. But we need to be strong and we need to be on our guard. And we need to hold up that shield of faith. Because as soon as we drop the shield of faith, boom, hiya! We're hurt and we're wounded in the church. This is my observation of 50 years of being in the church. 50 years and 9 months if you include that sort of time when we were at church as well, right? 50 years of church life and I have spoken to so many people as Christians who are wounded and they're still wounded and they carry wounds around with them and they've never allowed God to deal with the wounds so many Christians who are wounded, and often it's when we're wounded that we are the ones who isolate ourselves. We stop coming to church, and we think, "I'm having nothing to do with them bunch of hypocrites. Who do they think they are?" Have you heard that kind of stuff? I've heard that stuff over the years, and I've been saddened as I've listened to people's stories, and you know, people who have got deep, deep wounds in their hearts. Jesus is healer. He wants to come and heal us. And the things which even he said in the Lord's Prayer, if we would put them into practice daily, then we would experience a different Christianity. We need to keep up that shield of faith. Rest is necessary, but the purpose of rest is so that we are ready and prepared for work. God rested on the seventh day. It was also Adam's first day. So Adam had a wee rest before he started to name animals and do all the stuff that he did. Adam began from a place of rest. God reckoned that his creation was worth spending time with, was worth resting with and spending time with. And so Adam's first day was a day of rest. We need to rest. It's been a big lesson for me over these last couple of years is learning to rest but there's no greater work than the work of the kingdom. And you might be doing your 95, working in a company, and that is God's calling for you. God has placed you there for a reason, to influence and to be an influence and to share the good news of the kingdom in that place. Your calling doesn't need to be on a platform like this. My calling when I was in Mitsubishi for 10 years was to spend time with these guys who God had placed me with, guys and girls. What is God calling you to? Where has he called you to? And I think there's a great need for us as Christians to learn to build stamina. You don't get to 50 years old and still be a Christian and still be in leadership without having had to develop stamina. We need to develop stamina as Christians because it's so easy to just give in. I'm too tired today. I can't be bothered. I sometimes feel like that. But you just got to get up and you've just got to get on with it, just the same. And lastly, sometimes we can be tempted to go down dark alleyways, to stray from the straight and narrow path. Sometimes we get tempted. Sometimes we want to go off and do our own thing. But the thing is that God wants us to bring to bring us back in to that narrow way, to that way where he is in us and around us, where he is working through us. And so the devil has all sorts of schemes, and therefore we need to put on this spiritual armor. And I'd like to have spent more time actually looking at these things individually, and uh, maybe we can do that at another time. But just to recap on Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 and 18, it says this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The truth is so important. The truth is the truth. There is no your version and my version. That's not the truth. There is only one truth, and that is Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, there is no substitute for right living. We either do the things that God has told us to, or we do our own thing. If we do our own thing, that's not righteousness. That's not having that protection over our heart. However, if we live God's way, then we're protected. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel (coughs) is good news. Good news that people need to hear, and we need to be ready to share that good news. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of of the evil one. We've thought about that this morning. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I want to encourage us this morning. That even though we might feel like we're in a desert place, God is there. God was present with Moses in the desert. He appeared to Moses in the desert. Don't let go of the things which God has spoken over your life. Hold on to them, pray into them, read them, meditate them, meditate on them and recall and bring them back to mind and continue to seek God for His purpose in your life. Don't try to do it all too quickly. I say that especially to the young people. Don't try and do it all too quickly. There are some things which you might think you're chocolate at, but you're just not ready for them yet. Don't worry about that. God's in the business of making us ready. God's in the process of changing us and bringing the change from the inside so that we can identify with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that action springs not from uh, thought, but from a readiness for responsibility. God is in the process of making us ready for some things. Young people, God is making you in the process of being ready for some great things. And I really believe that with all my heart. But don't try to run ahead of God. For those who think I'm at the opposite end of the scale now, it's time for me to just be slowing down. And I've done my bit. And I've done all that. And I've done this, that, and the next thing. And it's time for me just to have a wee rest. Sit back, take it easy, have a wee coffee and a wee caramel wafer and just chill out. If that's where you are, don't be fooled because God has a purpose for each of us. As long as there's breath coming into your lungs and coming back out, God has a purpose for each of us. And we need to press in to that purpose and to grab hold of that purpose and to put it into practice in our lives. Let's not give up on these things. Let's be encouraged. And let's seek to stay in him and his love. Let's just pray. And uh, musicians come back up. We're going to finish off uh, with our closing time of worship. But let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are at work in this world. Father, we thank you that your purposes will ultimately prevail. Father, your word tells us that there will come a day where every knee will bow and where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we pray that you would help us to press into the things which you're saying to us. Father, whether that's individually in our lives, maybe areas of ministry that we're involved in and the opportunities that you give us, help us to press into those things. Help us to be obedient to what you're saying. And Lord, if we're going to be obedient, we need to be listening to what you're saying to start with. And so Father, help us to be taking that time aside with you regularly to hear what you're saying to us. And Father, we pray over this congregation that you would have your way amongst us. Father, that you bless this congregation. Father, for those who are maybe listening uh, to this uh, or later after it has been shared on a Sunday, maybe listening to an audio or whatever, Father, we just pray for each one that you would be at work in every life. And Father, we, we just pray that you would continue to draw us closer to yourself, closer into your purposes. And Father, may we know your kingdom come, your will being done in our lives, in the life of this church. And the life of the churches across this town and across West Lothian and across our nation. Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. And Father, may it be for your glory. Father, help us to remember that you've called us into a mission, a special mission. It's your mission, your mission to reach a lost world and to introduce them to you, to introduce them to Jesus, to introduce them to the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to take that mission seriously. And Lord, we pray over this time of year, as we come to Christmas, Lord, we pray that you would fulfill your mission, that you would fulfill your purpose, that people will come to know you and find you. Father, perhaps some for the first time. And Lord, we just pray that you would just infuse everything with your spirit. Father, may it be for your glory. May it be for the building up of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.